Welcome to Growing Up Skywalker. My name is Anna. And I'm Sam. And today we are talking about the Zygerian arc, or as the locals call it, the Zygerian arc. They pronounce it at least four different ways. They really do. So this is the Clone Wars season four, episodes 11, 12, and 13, Kidnapped, Slaves of the Republic, and Escape from Cadavo. Mm-hmm. So we, uh, we're, we're covering some real light territory here, folks. <laughs> <laughs> so at the beginning of Kidnapped, which is episode 11 of season four, Dooku is continuing his shenanigan this season of forcing planets to side with the separatists mm-hmm. using very unsavory means. It's kind of like a flavor of the week thing. Yeah. So it's the job. Yeah, this is his job. So this week, he is extorting the peaceful artisan planet of Kiros, populated by Tegrutans, like Ahsoka, mm-hmm. who um, conveniently don't believe in weapons or in fighting back. So they are sort of sitting ducks here. There's not a warrior among us, according to their prime minister. Fascinating as we look at Ahsoka. Mm-hmm. So Dooku arrives on the planet and... There is really no other way to put this. He very gently strong arms his way into peacefully occupying the planet. Mm -hmm. He's like, no, no, we'll make this a sanctuary for your people. No, no, I insist. It's intimidating. He puts his hand on, uh, I believe, Kitos's shoulder and grabs him in and is like, yes, you are mine now. So by the time Master Yoda sends in Kenobi and Anakin and Ahsoka, it has taken 10 rotations between the phone calls. And by the time they get there, Dooku's second-in-command, Darts Dinar, has already set up shop. Mm -hmm. So he rounded up the colonists in their houses and put bombs all over town. And uh, he kind of wants to destroy the Jedi because the Zygerians and the Jedi have an ancient feud stretching back to when the Jedi completely obliterated their trading of slaves empire. Mm -hmm. So fun stuff all around. When Anakin and Ahsoka go through the city dismantling bombs, Kenobi has to distract Darts Dinar with a trial by combat, (laughs) which is very fun. Yeah, and he is holding his punches the whole time until Anakin finally disarms all the bombs. Yes, so no weapons, no fun for anybody, just Kenobi having his butt whooped. And Anakin and Ahsoka are doing pretty well disarming like 15 bombs all over the city. But when they get to the final two, the bombs are linked and they have these twin sniper droids taking pot shots from the roof. So they have to use the power of friendship to deflect blaster bolts into the sides of each other's droids and then do a synchronized detonator slash with their lightsabers. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a cool combat scene. It starts off with them on speeder bikes and then everyone moves on to the crazy two-legged walkers. There's cool fighting in the beginning of this one. Very good fighting. By the time they finish off the bombs, it is great teamwork. Kenobi is coming off way worse in this revenge match Mm -hmm. with Dinar, and Dinar figures out that they took apart his bombs. So he flings his tactical droid at Kenobi and then takes off in his starship. Well, first he says, I have one bomb remaining, turns his tactical droid 
on because the tactical droid is wearing a bomb backpack and the droid is like, how, how could, could you? you? It's so great. Ahsoka and Anakin chase him down, um, but he has some schmonsters in his back pocket. Yes. Like a giant tentacled rancor creature. It's a Blixus. A Blixus. That's great. Anakin fights the Blixus while Ahsoka goes after Dinar and... I think I forgot to mention that the colonists are not on the planet. Yeah, the whole thing was a ruse and the colonists have been moved somewhere else. Yes, so Anakin is furious. Ahsoka neutralizes Dinar and he walks in and he holds his lightsaber to Dinar's neck and he's like, tell me where the colonists are. But all Dinar will tell him is that the Zygerian queen is going to bring back the slave auctions of a thousand years ago Mm -hmm. before the Jedi dismantled it. And when they call home to Coruscant, yeah, they realize it was Dinar who was bluffing all along. The colonists were never in the city. The bombs were never going to hurt anybody. And they just wasted a whole afternoon, you know, jetting around town. Yeah. And Yoda says slavery is a great tool for the rise of the Sith. So that sets us up for the second episode, Slaves of the Republic. So the Jedi fly to Zygeria dressed up as slavers. So Obi-Wan, Anakin, Ahsoka, and Rex are dressed up in pretty cool outfits. Zygeria is a beautiful planet. Mm -hmm. It's very cool. And they both, uh, both the Jedi give R2 the lightsabers to hold, or all the Jedi, I guess, give him his lightsabers. Ahsoka is dressed up in a harem girl outfit with a full uh, body outfit with only an eye slit and underneath she's wearing extremely cool fancy robes i guess is it cool okay we'll talk about it yeah so as they end up in this town there are space monkeys fighting with knives in the street it is a real weird vibe and they immediately get the attention of the queen by interrupting one of the zygarians from beating a slave And the ubiquitous hover droids are like, the queen wants to see you right away because Anakin name drops some dude. Yeah, he parlays it very gracefully into an invitation to see Queen Mirage of Zygeria. And Obi-Wan and Rex jet off to go get information. But Anakin really pulls an outstanding bluff with the queen about this uh, Bruno Denturi character. And he proceeds to lie and just finagle his way into the queen's good graces. It is utterly ridiculous. And we've revealed uh, Ahsoka's crazy outfit. Yeah, they have a very icky scene where Anakin is flirting harder and harder. And the Mm -hmm. queen is like, yes, I'm very into this. And also your slave has a bad attitude and needs Mm -hmm. to be processed more. And then they have a very naughty whispered conversation about sex, which is just a lot. (laughs) This was a lot for Clone Wars, Sam. I just want to put it on the record. So meanwhile, in the B plot, Obi-Wan and Rex find the governor and grab him, escape with him, but not fully. And Obi-Wan and Rashti, the governor, are recaptured. So we cut to the queen's auction. And she has this massive slave auction. One of her servants attempts to assassinate her. And Anakin kills the, or he doesn't kill the assassin. The assassin commits suicide by jumping off. And it's pretty sad. But they're ready to release the next slave. And the queen gets a message, a very intriguing message. And she says, all right, 
The next slave is Obi-Wan Kenobi. <gasps> and you, Anakin, are going to go, or whatever name he was using, fake name, are going to go down there and whip him to submission. It was Lars Quell. Yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah, she's like, we're going to break name. the Jedi Order, and first you have to teach this one his place. So R2 spits out their lightsabers. Well, so... Anakin goes down there and he does the thing. He does the salute at R2 and R2 spits out four lightsabers. Ahsoka grabs her too. Obi-Wan grabs his and Anakin grabs his. There's a crazy fight, but eventually everyone is subdued because Ahsoka's wearing a shock collar. Obi-Wan gets an electro whip right around the neck right away and he's already been beat up for the day. Anakin takes a lot to pull down. I think they actually end up shorting out his arm and that like shocks him into submission. Really? Yeah, there's there's a quick bit where like his right hand gets whipped with an electro whip and then it like shocks and then it goes down his arm like more Whoa. Violently. It did take about five electro whips to bring yeah. him down, which is insane. Uh, Rex is just up there pretending to be a cool dude with the queen. So he's fine. He's great. Rex is the best. Ahsoka wakes up in a cage that's overhanging the city that's got, you know, several hundred feet down, and one of her captors is tormenting her. Anakin wakes up in the queen's bed, which yeah. is gross. And she says, you are now my bodyguard. And if you, as long as you are willing to do this, I will let your friends go. Maybe, because Obi-Wan and Rex have been shipped to Kadavo, and they're mm -hmm. being controlled, they're slaves, and they're being controlled by sort of the wanton deaths of the Togruta. Yeah, they're doing uh, group punishment. Yeah, and the queen ends the episode by giving Anakin a choice. He can stay with her, and she'll let everyone go free, or if he refuses, then he condemns them to live as slaves. She says, if they are to live as slaves, it will be you who keeps them that way. Aww. So then we move to the third episode. The third episode, Escape from Kadavo, opens with Obi-Wan and Rex in chains. They are shoveling mystery space ore into underground furnaces. And they can't speak up or fight because not only will they be electrocuted, but the Togruta, the 50,000 Togruta slaves that are there with them, will also be punished. They're treated sort of as whipping boys. So on Zygeria, Anakin is biding his time until Dooku flies in on his mega cool solar sailor, which was very fun, to negotiate for millions and millions of slaves to fuel the Sith cause. But he is also there to see what's going on with Queen Mirage and mm -hmm. maybe take her down if she's not being compliant. So the second Mirage walks off to do her meeting with Dooku, R2 appears out of nowhere mm -hmm. and distracts the guards and Anakin gets free. Mm -hmm. Dooku comes in for his audience the queen tells him that she has this grand plan. She's going to break the will of the Jedi. They're going to enslave an entire army of force users. But Dooku is like, that's very cool, but I'm just here to execute Obi-Wan and Anakin. So bring in Anakin. Mm-hmm. Which he's going to have a hard time doing because Anakin is freeing Ahsoka. Uh, they have a beautiful, genuinely wonderful master Padawan moment. He force lifts her cage up. He gently sets her down. He's like, Snips, are you okay? It is delightful. 
and Ahsoka jets off to grab their escape ship and Anakin goes after the queen to get Obi-Wan's location. Yep. So he barges into the throne room. Unfortunately, he is no match for Dooku without a lightsaber. Dooku has, by this point, already orchestrated a coup with the prime minister and the queen is lying force choked out on the ground. Yeah. So he tries to pawn it off on Anakin. He's like, look, Anakin Skywalker murdered your queen. Mm -hmm. But he grabs her body and he hops into Ahsoka's ship. And with her dying breath, the queen tells them to go to the Kadavo system. So they get there not a moment too soon because Dooku is about to have the slave overseer hood Kenobi and Rex to death. It's a very funny thing because you'd expect that they'd be able to get a little bit of time for their scheme, but they land and some Zygerian guard is like, hey, this ship has landed. Dooku says destroy it. So they just shoot it on the landing pad and everyone's running away as fast as they can. There was so much action in this episode that I forgot that the ship explodes. But yes, the (laughs) ship explodes. And when Anakin and Ahsoka try to break in to get Kenobi and Rex, Dooku tells Obi-Wan, you better call Skywalker off or I will kill every slave on this planet. Mm -hmm. So Kenobi is begging Anakin to stop. He says, you have to realize that this is a fight that you can't win alone. And Anakin says, who says I'm alone? And Master Plo and the wolf pack zoom out of a Jedi cruiser with 10 starfighters. So the starfighters are strafing the top of this platform and it's held up by three legs over like a bottomless pit. And that is how they're planning on executing the slaves as well. They've electrified the walls and are just withdrawing the floor. Yes, it is bonkers. Many things happen in very quick succession. So Master Plo is leading the starfighter attack. Kenobi and Rex throw off their shock collars. Mm -hmm. Ahsoka breaks into the facility that is uh, slowly, you know, electrocuting the Togruden slaves and she's going to free them. Anakin infiltrates a gun tower and uses the blasters to take out the other gun towers. And then Rex throws a spear and gets the slave overseer through the heart. The overseer has Obi-Wan like pointing a lightsaber at him and says, come now, Kenobi. I know a Jedi wouldn't kill an unarmed man. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a trident into him. And Rex is like, I'm no Jedi. Oh, my God. Phenomenal. So great. Um, so Ahsoka has a brilliant idea. She has the Admiral fly the Jedi cruiser underneath the holding cell Mm -hmm. and the wolf pack fires their grappling hooks and their ascension cables into the ceiling and the Togruta shimmy down the ropes one by one. And then with all of the slaves free, they obliterate the facility. All of the slavers go down with it. Mm -hmm. And we close the episode with the governor thanking Ahsoka and me just, you know, bawling my eyes out. (laughs) Because that was a lot. That was a lot for one arc of the Clone Wars. Yeah, well, it's a long one and there's a lot going on. And there's a lot of call outs in this one to other things. Oh my gosh, there's so many call forwards. Do you want to start with those? Yeah, sure. Uh, My favorite is the call out to Anchorman. Okay. Okay. (laughs) You're going to have to enlighten me on that one. When Rex kills a guy with a trident and Obi-Wan's like, you just killed a guy with a trident. Like, just flings it. Okay, I never saw Anchorman. Oh, well, Steve Carell kills a guy with a trident in a weird fight. Steve Carell! He's playing someone who is, like, 
literally as smart as a brick. It's very funny. That is excellent. I really liked the call forward to R2, beginning the noble tradition of letting Jedi stash their lightsabers in his chest. Mm-hmm. I thought that was fantastic. He's like, I have just the place. I have, I have my lightsaber cavity right here with little rocket jets in it, and I can just shoot them wherever. It's great. So great. It's like one of those little guns in the baseball stadiums where they fire the t-shirts at you. <laughs> <laughs> the salute, I think you mentioned, was the same so Anakin salutes R2 mm-hmm. before beginning his, you know, slaughter of the Zygerian guards in the slave arena, um, much as his son will do later in the original trilogy. 25 years from now. Yeah. So great. Yeah. There's a lot of memes. The one of at the beginning where they meet Dinar and he turns the tactical droid into a bomb and Obi-Wan's just like, ah, oh, window, brilliant. And he flings the droid out the window right as it explodes. And then, as you said, the synchronized bomb diffusal. As they find the first bomb, Ahsoka is like carefully pulling the thing off and like, all right, there's a bunch of wires. Do I cut the red one? Do I cut the blue one? And Anakin's just like, slice, slice. It's fine. It'll work. Ahsoka's like, how did you know that would work? He's like, I guessed. It's fine. It's great. What is that a call forward to? No, it's it's just Anakin's style. And also it's a call forward to a little bit of uh, Han Solo action. Oh, that's delightful. Yeah. We uh, had Ahsoka playing the part of a slave, like Leia. Mm -hmm. Normally, I would say having a slave arc in the Clone Wars feels really out of place. But unfortunately, this really is part of the grand Star Wars tradition of having slaves in basically all of all. Yeah, all of all of the trilogies. Well, that's what makes it so compelling for Anakin from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Because as soon as he's like, ah, yes, the Zygarians took them, Anakin like turns bright red and even R2's like, yikes. I want to talk about that. I just want to mention the mm-hmm. final call forward that I meant that I noticed, which is Anakin's line when Ahsoka's pretending to be the slave mm-hmm. and Anakin's pretending to be Lars Quell, her slave master. He says the role of master comes easily to me, oh. which for me was foreshadowing, you know, episode three, where he famously does not become part of the Jedi Council and does not become a master. There is one more when Queen Mirage dies and she says, you were right, which is actually uh spoiler alert, Anakin's last words. Oh, I did not pick up on that. Yeah. And Return of the Jedi as well. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that made me really sad. (laughs) Um, I would like to state for the record that this arc did make me very sad and also very nervous. This is the first arc of the Clone Wars where I know they all make it out, and I genuinely believed that they were not all going to make it out. Ooh. The stakes were very high. They really were. Having... The live enemies, the Zygarians being fully live, no droids whatsoever, made it a little bit harsher, a little bit scarier. There's a moment at the end when Anakin and Ahsoka are crashing into Kadavo and they're making a door and Anakin walks in, slices a dude, slices another dude, and then he swings his sword behind him and stabs another dude. And Ahsoka has this pained look on her face. Mm. She's so pained with the death. And Anakin's like, I gotta kill these guys, you know? He didn't even notice. Something similar happens in the first episode when they're confronting Dinar on his ship as he's trying to get Mm -hmm. away. 
And when Anakin holds his lightsaber up to Dinar's neck, Ahsoka has the same expression on her face. She had actually been holding her lit lightsaber like a few inches away from his neck. Anakin is holding his unlit lightsaber just at this guy. Jammed at the carotid artery. If he, no turn, less. If he turns it on, that guy is not ever going to need to shave again. He is going to be skewered. Yeah, that that was interesting. What I noticed about this arc, and then we can get into some of our themes and things that we noticed, this arc got really personal really fast. So we have Ahsoka's people. Mm-hmm. She is a Togruta. These are Togrutan slaves who are being basically used as a commodity through this entire arc. Yeah. We have Anakin's past being mm-hmm. wielded against him yeah. and something that he really has to be able to cope with because he will not be successful otherwise. And we have Obi-Wan's future, where it's it's not clear that he will get out of this situation and the intent and purpose is for him to be enslaved for as long as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so in for both Anakin and Obi-Wan, the Keeper Argris, who's the warden of Kadavo, he's saying the Obi-Wan says the point of this place is to break the spirit. Everything about this place is designed to break people. And that is what the Keeper says as well. He says, we haven't had a Jedi here in a long time. I'll show you what happens if you disobey. And he just drops 10 people Mm -hmm. into a bottomless pit. Mm -hmm. That idea of collective punishment is really powerful. We've talked, I'm not sure if it was on the podcast or not, about the Roman concept of decimation. Yes, very recently in the Umbaran arc, actually. Right. And so that collective punishment is something which enforces the breakdown of individual will. And that is what is going on really strongly with the Zygarian processing, yes. as they say. Yeah, definitely. What else did you notice that you wanted to talk about? The aesthetics of this are super cool. There's really good art throughout that I noticed significantly. All the planets are absolutely beautiful. They are super beautiful. I really noticed a couple things. The models for the Zygerian people Mm -hmm. are stunning. Yeah, you can see like individual hairs on them, which is pretty good for like a 2010 episode, 2011? I think this was 2011. The mm-hmm. arc was actually adapted from a comic book series yeah. published in 2008. So there were some pretty significant changes to the Zygerian people. Mm-hmm. They were more animalistic, I would say, in the Clone Wars versus the comic book series. They had fur and they had these big kind of bat ears, but they looked sort of Wolverine-ish. Yeah, they have a very interesting look. And the relationship between uh, Queen Mirage and Anakin, she also calls him out and says, you were a slave once. I can like tell it about him. That was a really interesting thing. But, you know, she's a, she's a sexy cat lady. She's a very sexy cat lady. And Anakin puts on a very convincing show of being this like strong, handsome slave master that mm-hmm. wants to get in the queen's pants. So that's uh, the characters are really interesting and the character art is really interesting and the space battles are quite cool. 
there's really cool stuff that a lot of effort went into making it look good. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit. I want to spin off of that because I forgot how much I missed seeing Anakin and Ahsoka together. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been ages. The last time we saw them spend any quality time together was the Citadel arc. And we haven't really gotten quality Kenobi interaction since Mortis. Yeah. Anakin and Ahsoka were together in the Mon Cala arc, but they didn't really... They were split up. Yeah, they were split up the whole time. Anakin was with Padme and Ahsoka mm-hmm. was with the prince. Yeah. Prince Lee Char. So as soon as the first episode of this arc opens, it's Anakin and Ahsoka arriving on Kiros, and she's in the sidecar of his speeder bike. And that's a very cool scene. They drive in on speeder bikes and are jousting with commando droids on speeder bikes. And Ahsoka has the second appearance of her Hondo Onaka goggles. She's Classic. like her Pelimoto goggles. Mm-hmm. She is so adorable. And she gets some really incredible moves in that firefight. Yeah, she's jumping on other ones. She's standing on top of her sidecar with her lightsabers drawn. She'll like hop between speeder bikes and then decapitate the biker droid and then hop back and then leap on top of the tanks and pew pew drop some grenades in. Yeah, she gets the job done. It's very cool. I guess I forgot how much I missed seeing force users in battles. Yeah, it it makes it more magical. Yeah. It makes it much more fantasy. Because it's been five episodes of Gungans and clones in battle. You know, we had Moncala, which was underwater. So the the use of the force is limited. Mm-hmm. And then we had Shadow Warrior and then four episodes on Ambara. So we have gotten very little force magic, uh, force tactics in our battles. And um, that scene when Ahsoka and Anakin somersault into Dinar's ship... I think was cinematic and cool and beautiful. And I love the gravity defying nature of getting to see force users in battle. So let me paint this picture for us. Obi-Wan has just thrown the tactical droid out the top window of this thing, of this tower, just in time for it to explode. Meanwhile, Dinar has taken the elevator down. Obi-Wan phones ahead and says, Dinar is escaping. Anakin is on uh, ATRT, the two-legged walkers, and really puts the spurs on because he is not okay with the slaver escaping. Pedal to the metal. So right as Obi-Wan gets out to the landing pad and sees the ship take off, he's on foot, but Anakin and Ahsoka jump on their RTs and run. They get to the edge of this cliff where the landing pad is, they Yoshi jump off their RTs and then mega force jump. It is the longest force jump I've ever seen and land on the wing of this ship. Now it's similar to when Ahsoka took down Aura Singh in Slave One. Ooh, yeah. Where she just jumps on the ship and chops off the wing of it. And they do that. They The ship is starting to go down and they're like, okay, what do we do now? They get in the front of it. Dinar sees them on his ship and sees that his engine has gone wrong. So he opens the doors and then he unleashes his Blixus. And so they're fighting this tentacle thing in the open front of a cargo ship, which is listing dangerously. It's a very cool scene. It's so beautiful. Yes. Yeah. It's very good. Things got a lot darker 
as soon as we got to the second episode and I'm in a I'm in a better place today than when I was watching the episodes. Mm-hmm. I just could not handle the second episode in this arc. I was not in an emotional place where I could deal with a teenager having to pretend to be a slave to mm-hmm. her older male Jedi master. Um Kenobi being tortured the slave girl killing herself rather than being sent back to a processing facility. Yeah. And having our only really powerful female representation in a while be a psychopath who wants to impose slavery over the entire galaxy. Yeah. So I did a fair bit of research into slavery for this because there's a lot of depictions, there's a lot of historical slavery in, in human history. Yes. That is spread out from like the Axial Age when, you know, the, the famous philosophers of ancient Greece had a slave economy. And, the, you know, those famously democratic governments were propped up by slaves being worked to death before the age of 25 in the silver mines of Athens. Then you move forward to the American South in the post-revolutionary and even pre-revolutionary era. And what you have is this curse. And I think it's a really interesting way to look at it. And Ahsoka talks about this when she's watching these space monkeys have a knife fight. She says, how can someplace so advanced still have slaves? Ooh, yeah. Because they have ubiquitous drone surveillance like no one can say or even like move in a way that the queen doesn't notice within seconds so they have ubiquitous surveillance which is like a future technology but then they have slaves which we think of as a past technology and the whole emphasis is that and this is talked about slaves aren't profitable they give you power It's absolutely about power. And we get some really good insight into that through Queen Mirage. Yeah. Because Queen Mirage is very sensitive to anyone indicating that they're taking away her power. Yeah. Her her conflict with Dooku, for sure. Everything about Dooku is, Dooku's not my master. Dooku doesn't have power over me. But when Dooku almost kills her, when he's force choking her, he says... This is a fitting punishment for a slave disobeying her master. Mm -hmm. And it's fascinating that the character who is benefiting the most from slavery and who is the most proud of slavery as an institution invites her own destruction. And it's because she thinks that she's the master of her own empire, but it's slavery that takes her down. Yeah. Right. So she has this line in the second episode where she says, slavery is the natural order of things. The weak deserve nothing more than to kneel before the strong. So what that invites, that mentality, is it invites people to grow strong and overthrow you, Mm -hmm. which is why the slave girl tries to kill her. And it invites other more powerful people to put you down. Which is what Dooku does. It does, particularly because the queen thought that she was strong because she had slaves. When in reality, the only strength is your internal strength. And you do not actually derive strength from your oppression of other people. And that's true. And also, the the arc begs us to consider the question, who isn't a slave? 
Yeah. Right. So the sl- the slaves on Zygeria might be Mirage's slaves, but she's a slave to Dooku. Mm-hmm. Dooku is a slave to Palpatine. Yeah. There's a strong implication that parts of the galaxy think that the Jedi are enslaved by the Republic. Mm-hmm. So who is actually free? Yeah. And that's what Mirage is saying the whole time as well. It's like everyone has to serve a master. You know, you can choose to let your friends go free if you serve me. It's interesting that she thinks that her position at the top of the hierarchy exempts her from slavery, but she just doesn't see that as powerful as she is. She has a master that she answers to as well. Yeah. Yeah. The... The concept of slavery in space is is so interesting to me because even going back to like the 1830s in the American South, there were authors who would say, you know, I'm as pro-slavery as anyone else, but it is going to wreck the Southern economy for generations. This is what Adam Smith in 1776 talked about, where he also famously had a line grotesquely taken out of context that has a phrase in it, the invisible hand. But uh, he also talks about how Slaves are removing economic incentive because the labor theory of value dictates that like people are the ones who increase value. You can't treat people like a commodity to exploit Mm. and still be in a profitable competition with people who exploit people's labor rather than the people themselves. It's, um, It's almost segmenting out the population that you think has innovative ideas that advance society, which is why slavery is so deeply, deeply, inescapably prejudiced and racist and classist and all kinds of things. But it's interesting to see this in Star Wars Mm -hmm. when, as we have talked about, droids have no rights. You have a very effective subjugated class that can be programmed not to rise up against you. So why would you need slaves when you have droids? It is about power. It is. It is. That's... uh... That reminds me of something that Frederick Douglass said, which is that he was strongly advocating for suffrage for women. He said, why are we depriving ourselves of 50% of the population, like 50% of the brains of the population? It's Mm. insane. The idea of depriving the galaxy, as it were, from the brightness of people is perhaps why it's so hammered in that the slavery is a tool of the Sith because it is actually designed to create suffering. Which dark side users can feed off of. And it also uh, invites masochism because being a slave master, someone who enjoys inflicting pain on others is a whole other type of pain. It's a whole other type of destruction of self. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting to turn this conversation to the Zygerians a little bit because mm-hmm. in a lot of ways they are depicted as sort of historical slave owners. They carry whips yeah, so that they can flog slaves. And there is a scene of Kenobi being flogged like a slave. What's interesting is that their contempt is so great for slaves because they think being a slave is a sign of weakness. Mm -hmm. But no one seems to consider that to become strong in that scenario is to rise up against your oppressor. So their whole system is inviting overthrow, but they don't seem to recognize that. So 
That is one of the hallmarks of fascism as well, hmm. in that you need to have an enemy, and that enemy needs to be simultaneously stupid enough to not deserve rights, smart enough that they're infiltrating the government. They need to be perverse enough that they aren't part of us. They are some other. Othered with so a you, capital O. Yeah, yeah, you need to create, uh, and this is the foundation of conservatism as a uh, economic thought, going back to like czarist Russia, which is that you have in-groups and out-groups, and the law protects the in-group and affects the out-group. The difference between them, the difference between people is a long-running tradition in politics because it allows you to take wealth, exploit wealth, and use it to continue exploiting wealth at the expense of others. Exploiting others is non-profitable compared to exploiting everyone equally, but it fulfills a tribal need for people in that if they do not feel powerful by themselves, they will take power by inflicting pain on others. Mm, so that is an extremely strong argument for slavery being a great tool for the Sith to use. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's a great tool for creating a slaveholding class, which will defend to the death whatever political institutions you put in front of them. Mm, yeah, because they have so much to lose. Exactly. Yeah. I found it interesting that you can't really talk about the Zygerians in this arc without talking about the Jedi's reputation mm -hmm. because they there's such a strong tie. So the Zygerians have contempt for slaves because they're weak. So the worst insult that they can think to to throw at the Jedi in the second episode is that the Jedi have become slaves of the Republic. Mm -hmm. Queen Mirage calls them tools of a corrupt Senate. Yeah, which and is I, correct. Which, which is correct, yes, because as we've talked about, the separatists have you know the right idea, even though some of them are going about it in kind of the wrong way. Yeah. So when Mirage announces to an entire arena full of presumably very bad people mm -hmm. who would want to be in attendance at a slave auction, she's saying, we're going to break the Jedi Order. And we're going to start with Obi-Wan. But even down in the furnace on the Kadavo system in mm -hmm. the processing plant, the Togrutans are getting the same message broadcast in a different way because they're learning that to associate with Obi-Wan will only bring them pain and destruction mm -hmm. and death. And so even down in the furnace area, there's a Togruta that Obi-Wan tries to help. And he says, no, get away from me. The Jedi only make things worse. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just thinking about the platform that this massive civilization has to also feed into Palpatine's grand plan, which is partially to discredit the Jedi. Absolutely. And to introduce despair and to place that feeling of if you would rather be a poor slave owner than a rich slave, right? You'd rather be the lowest slave owner than the highest slave mm. because that is going back to that separation at the implicit sort of outside of classism. 
Yeah, you're afforded more rights by being even the lowest ranking member of the in-group versus the highest ranking member of the out-group. Exactly. So in a way, it's it's a way to fight classism. And the only way to counteract that would to be actually like broad spectrum class action, class, uh, you know, struggles, because... If all the slaves were ever to rise up in any slave society, as you see in the Third Servile War with Spartacus in 77 BC, if ever the slaves rise up, all of a sudden everything falls apart. We see this in season four in the Moncala arc. When all of the mm-hmm. prisoners of the separatists rise up, the Gungans, the clones, the Mon Calamari, the Quarren, they are able to break the stranglehold that the separatists have on their planet. Absolutely. Because if the in-group is larger than the out-group, then you need like a more exclusive in-group, right? Circles within circles. Yeah, the in-group needs to be smaller. And this is something recently has been on my mind. This is like the purpose of a lot of religious indoctrination as well, is to remind you that you're part of an in-group as opposed to part of people. Mm. So the Zygerians... They had this revanchism, this uh, sort of cultural revenge against the Jedi, which they persecuted, even though like it's not Obi-Wan's fault. He's like, dude, that happened a thousand years before I was born. Literally a millennia ago is when the Jedi broke the great Zygerian slaving empire. The Zygerians still think of that as their birthright because as a they think they are the ones who are persecuted. Well, the Jedi took their power away. Yeah. They think to this day they are persecuted when in reality they were the persecutors. Ooh. Wow. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Wow. I was thinking about this because recently I was I was just thinking about how black and white the original trilogy is. Mm-hmm. How the Jedi are unequivocally good and the Empire is unequivocally bad. And one of the really interesting things that the Clone Wars has done and that the prequel era has done is complicate the Jedi by showing the galaxy turning against them. Yeah. I don't think that was the intent of the original trilogy. I think it was very black and white. And it makes me sad, but it's also really interesting to get this very subtle and pervasive groundwork of showing the cracks in the Jedi Order. And I think this arc surprised me because I wasn't expecting to see that work done here. Hmm. But it was a complicated enough arc that it managed to have arguments against slavery, but also against the Jedi. I can see that. Yeah, it it goes to something that's been on my mind a lot recently, especially over the last few episodes, which is that the Jedi have just really poor PR They have extremely bad PR. And it's because that's not their job. It's not their job. And also they have what I would call a marketing mastermind in Palpatine Uh perpetuating bad propaganda about them on jumbotrons across the galaxy. Yeah. And then feeding the most unflattering side of the truth to the separatists Mm -hmm. and the Confederacy of Independent Systems so that he turns everyone into his propaganda pawns. Exactly. So that whether you have the tiniest of of megaphones or you're able to broadcast your message to a giant slave auction arena, mm-hmm. you are becoming tools of the dark side. Yeah. Yeah, and it's because because the galaxy is messy because 
nothing is really purely good. There's no pure good actions or evil actions. The Jedi try their best that they fail sometimes and they're continually called out for failing. And they're also continually followed called out for not succeeding enough and there's no helping them because there's no messaging that they can perform that is a good thing and every single thing that they do wrong is picked apart they're ripped apart everywhere across the galaxy and that is the plan of the dark side yeah we had a conversation this weekend actually about how people who are strong in their opinions and strong in their truth don't need to broadcast their beliefs. Yeah. It's people who are insecure in their beliefs, who try to convert others mm-hmm. and to blast their opinions wherever possible. And it's sort of just to reinforce their own belief system. Yeah. But the Jedi, I would imagine, don't feel the need to counter their bad PR because they feel so strongly that they are the force for good in the universe. And it's it's kind of a twin thing where they don't think that they need to to have good PR, but they're also not as uncomplicatedly good as they think they are. And by not addressing every single point, by being what's called gish galloped by the the emperor or supreme chancellor, they are being painted into a corner as ivory tower intellectuals. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Who are out of touch with the common people. Yeah. Oh, man. I have one more tiny note that I want to talk about. Lay it on me. Actually, I have two. Okay. I have one tiny thing about Anakin and Padme. (laughs) Padme? She wasn't even in this episode. I know, right? Okay. But so something that Anakin says at the end of the episode, at the end of the second episode, is actually really interesting in the context of his marriage So he has been flirting with Queen Mirage and Mm -hmm. Mirage is sort of infatuated with him and she's trying to lure him to her side. Mm -hmm. And she says, with you beside me, there's nothing we couldn't do. And Anakin says, we are nothing. You have all the power. Oh, yeah. As if to say there's no partnership because we're not equal partners. Well, that's how... um Every relationship, sexual relationship between a slave and a master is rape. Absolutely. Because absolutely. There's there's no consent under a system which has inherent permissions divides. Yes, absolutely. But this is also Anakin's thing with Padme. Padme doesn't have any power in their marriage. Anakin has all the power. Anakin sets the tone of every interaction. Anakin is the one who strong armed her into the marriage in the first place. Anything that Padme says, he will weaponize against her to get what he wants. And so their marriage, their secret marriage, is not even really a marriage. Only one person has the power in it. She could probably get his cruiser painted bright pink or something to emasculate him. But that's, yeah, that's about all she could do. (laughs) So anyway, I just, you know, I'm not a Padme and Anakin stan, so I just have to throw that in there. It is a canonical ship. That doesn't mean that I have to go down with it. (laughs) The final thing is that we got 
the return of the Duolingo owls from the Ahsoka hunted arc. And I just thought that was delightful. Oh yeah. Uh, he's, um, Dinar has a whole bunch of them in his hold, which is full of various creatures. Cause apparently he's a creature collector. That too. And they land on top of Kenobi and Rex, uh, at one point when they are being tortured or when they're in the slave pit. Really? Yep. I did not catch that. It's really nice. There's also some really cool schmonsters for the uh, rogues gallery of schmonsters here. The enormous flying lizards. Those are so cool. Yeah. I don't know what they're called. I looked it up. They are called Brezaks. Brezaks. Yeah. And they are like 40 foot long geckos with side wings and they can kind of undulate through the air to stay lifted. It's a very romantic scene where the queen is like wrapped around Anakin as he's flying this Oh my thing. gosh, she's so excited. She's like the cat that got the cream. They kind of look like the Zillow Beast's ancestors. They have kind of <laughs> the same shaped head and I think they are great. Yes, little baby Zillow Beasts. Oh my gosh, I love them. So you've been talking about how poorly this paints the Jedi and then the Zygerians are obviously the bad guys the entire time, even though like the main... Zegal dies tragically. So who gets to join the exalted ranks of Baywatch? Are you saying it's time for Baywatch? Yes. It's time for Baywatch. Baywatch. Time for Baywatch. I thought that our conversation was going to illuminate my bay. But I'm sitting here with four possibilities and no idea who's my bae. Oh, no. Oh, no. Do you want me to lay out the arguments? Yeah, let's talk through it. Okay. So, Kenobi, on the basis of being beat up twice. (laughs) He also has uh, the perfect timing at the end. When uh, he's sitting there about to get tortured and the keeper is saying... I'm going to drop the slaves or I'll, I'll get the situation under control. Kenobi is waiting and waiting. And then as soon as Anakin says, oh, I brought a bunch of cruisers and blow too. Kenobi says now and immediately frees himself in Rex. He's been able to do that the entire time. He was just waiting for the right moment. Which is extremely sexy of him and extremely cool. And I'm taking that under advisement. Okay. This was in addition to being flogged and enslaved and being forced not to help others so that they won't get hurt themselves. So he is absolutely in the running. Uh, Ahsoka, for rescuing her people, Mm -hmm. we don't get Ahsoka's origin story, which I think was a real missed opportunity in this arc, but she gets a thank you from the governor for rescuing her people, Mm -hmm. which was very cash money. (laughs) Close bros. For continuing the beautiful tradition of Master Plo and the Wolf Pack coming to rescue everybody. Mm-hmm. And weirdly enough, Anakin is in the running. I feel like Anakin deserves to be up there. There is a moment when Obi-Wan is trying to convince Anakin to not bargain with the slave drivers. Mm-hmm. And he says, no, I've had enough bargaining with slave drivers. Mm-hmm. And I was like... Is this attractive? Like, am I attracted to Anakin Skywalker? And and having to face down his past and committing to the bit with Queen Mirage, even when it is so distasteful. Yeah, he really commits to the bit 
watching that scene, because I've seen it a few times, but watching with an ear for what she is saying to catch him in a lie and him outlying her like four times in a row is an amazing bluff. It is so good. And just think Anakin is a full grown man and he is married and he is forced into objectifying his teenage Padawan Mm -hmm. and pretending that this woman who checks her nails after a slave commits suicide in front of her and says, Oh, what a waste, you know, Mm -hmm. like, I guess I'm going to need a new servant, like to look at her and to make her think that he could be attracted to her. Mm -hmm. That is a pretty impressive heist that he's pulling. It is. It is really interesting to see this, especially over uh, compared to Rush Clovis, Mm. because Padme had to pretend to be attracted to Rush Clovis in order to get that information and now Anakin pretends to be attracted to Queen Mirage. And you would imagine if Padme was there, she'd be like, I trust him. But mm. he absolutely didn't trust her, didn't have it under control. So interesting. The, the power dynamics are interesting. Yeah. I think I think that I am going to bestow upon Obi-Wan Kenobi this week's Baywatch. All right. But Anakin really, 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 maybe, possibly deserved it. So tell me who your bay is, and maybe I'll maybe I'll second guess myself. Oh, I'm going to go with Anakin. Okay. Yeah, for the reasons we enumerated, for not compromising in his ideals, and although he does immediately go from zero to sixty on his anger scale as soon as he knows that it's Zygerians, he's still like he's not out of control, even for him. He has it all. He's he's like, I am ready to fight. I'm ready to take out some violence on some droids. I'm ready to save the day. And then he proceeds to save the day over and over again. He just really Anakin's the situation up. He's like, I need to jump a thousand feet and chop this ship's engine off and punch a dude. And then I'll feel better about myself. Like that's his whole plan. And then he's like, I'm going to go charm these people so that I can bring down their entire government and free all these people and cause a whole huge ruckus. And that is his plan. He is willing to go to any length for what he thinks is right. He was a fantastic spy. He was an incredible impersonator. And he got out of his situation with the queen as soon as he wanted to. Exactly. And that is a point for Obi-Wan as well. Yeah. So the reason I went with Obi-Wan is because watching him bow down to the slavers in the processing facility almost broke me. Mm -hmm. It was horrifying to watch this powerful, dignified Jedi master that we love and trust and respect in this really pitiful position. Mm -hmm. But when you see that he can throw off his shock collar the second that he wants to and get himself and Rex out of the situation, it turns his brokenness into strategy. Mm -hmm. And that is so redeeming and so inspiring. Yeah, he was never broken. He was just waiting. Absolutely. He was biding his time. And special mention, so is Rex. And despite the fact that he gets very few kills, Rex really puts up good fights. Rex is very fun, like slipping around the corners of this entire arc. Mm -hmm. And he gets the the most important kill, which is, you know, the guy in charge of it all.
We had a lot of choices. I feel like we kind of made the right ones. I think so. Yeah, I think Ahsoka was in the running, but um, at the end of the episode, the governor says, you know, I want to thank you for what you did for our people, but I don't know if they're going to recover from what happened to them. And Ahsoka has this line where she's like, no, no, they'll be stronger for having suffered. Mm -hmm. But sometimes suffering doesn't make you stronger. It just makes you different. Yeah, Ahsoka is young enough that she doesn't, I think she hasn't come to terms with the long-term PTSD yet that follows you from childhood into adulthood. It's very hopeful to me that she believes that to be true, but sometimes suffering is just suffering. Yeah. Well, that wraps up the Zygerian arc or Zygerian arc or Zygerian arc. So what's on? What's up next? Ooh, okay. Next we are watching A Friend in Need, which is the Clone Wars season four, episode 14. It is a one shot. Nice. And I have no, I don't know anything about it. Uh, it is not ringing a bell with me. So Okay. <laughs> so we are looking forward to finding out what happens next yeah. in the Clone Wars. So join us next week as we find out. <laughs> As always, thank you so much to our Patreons, our listeners, our followers. You guys are great. We love you. And if you want more Skywalker, you can follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And um, if you want to be one of our patrons, you can do that as well. Yeah. And make sure to send us to someone who likes power. Hmm. Yeah, you can try that. I would say send this to the friend that always knows when to act and when the correct moment is. Oh, that's better. Yeah. I like that. Send it to that person. Send it to that person. And we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.